Isn't it much easier to forget the gifts we receive than to remember them with a grateful heart? This is a regular problem for those following Jesus because we quickly forget that the grace we received was free. And that same free grace we received is what we're called to give others. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. We're currently studying the life of the prophet Elisha, as found in 2 Kings. It is the nature of grace to be free, and as Christians we are called to show grace to others as we have received God's grace in Jesus Christ. Well, Phil, we've introduced our listeners to famous Bible heroes like Moses and Jeremiah and Elijah, but today we're going to meet someone who's so ordinary that we don't even know her name. Yeah, that's right, Mark, and I wish we did know her name. She's a wonderful person, a young slave girl who had been captured from Israel by the Syrians. And yet in this story, which is a well-known story of the cleansing of Naaman, the Syrian general, She gives a clear testimony of the grace of God, and it changes someone's life. Well, Naaman is well known for bathing seven times in the Jordan River. How does the story of that cleansing help us understand the gospel? Well, Mark, it's a story of a man who had leprosy and was desperate for any kind of cure for that. And as you say, he bathed seven times in the Jordan River. It's a story I suppose some people learned for the first time in Sunday school, perhaps. But it's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of the cleansing grace of Jesus Christ. And in a way, it's a kind of baptism from the Old Testament. It's a powerful example of the cleansing grace of God. And I would challenge, Mark, any of our listeners today to consider whether they have experienced this kind of cleansing grace in their own lives. And this is a wonderful opportunity as you listen to today's program to turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Well, thank you, Phil. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 5 and listen to God's Word for us today. Naaman the Valiant. He was a great man, this man that we meet at the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 5. He was the captain of a large army, a Syrian army, one of the most powerful in the world at the time. And he lived in Damascus, the capital city. He had performed heroic feats in battle. He was a warrior, the scripture says, a man of valor and nobility. He had been used by the Lord to gain victory for his people. And even his name meant gracious or favored one. All this, plus he was popular. Now Naaman, as we read in verse 1, was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. He was a valiant soldier. But then comes the shock. But he had leprosy. Naaman was loved and respected by both God and men. But he was a leper. His high position had not protected him from desperate need. Now, some have questioned the severity of Naaman's ailment. The term leprosy in the Bible can have a variety of meanings. It describes a variety of different infectious skin diseases. In the biblical times, it was not always the life-threatening, limb-destroying disease that leprosy is today. Indeed, some commentators suggest that Naaman was simply suffering from psoriasis, an itching and flaking of the skin. 
Well, there is probably too much unbelief in such speculation. Naaman's medical problem was serious. His skin disease was socially unacceptable. Whatever the condition, it was important enough for a warrior to make a long journey to seek a cure and to take with him a vast fortune. Would he do all of this for an itch? Not likely. And then there is the response of the king of Israel. Naaman's king sent a letter of introduction to ask Israel to help his commander. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? He treats Naaman's skin condition as a life or death matter, and although he seems prone to exaggerate, evidently this disease is serious and incurable. All the more remarkable, then, that Elisha was able to provide for him a cure. The healing of Naaman, as the story is told in this chapter, teaches us five lessons about the grace of God. The first is that God's grace must be shared, and it can be shared by every believer. The person who shared God's grace with Naaman was just a little girl. As we read in verse 2, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. This poor child had five strikes against her. She was at a quintuple disadvantage. First, she was a foreigner, a member of a despised and alien tribe living in Syria. Second, she was a slave. It's true that she served in a great house, but her life and liberty were not her own. Third, she was a youth in a culture which valued the wisdom of the old. Fourth, she was a female in a society which gave every prerogative to males, and finally, she was nameless. This poor little alien slave girl was not even important enough to have her name written down. She had no home, no freedom, no experience, no power, and no name. Compared to the mighty Naaman, she counted for nothing. And yet the little girl's life counted for God, She went from room to room with her feather duster in the house. She learned that everyone in the household was worried about the master and his dreadful disease. And so one day, perhaps as she was fixing her mistress's hair or something else, she sighed and said, Oh, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So you see that this little girl was one of the boldest evangelists in the Bible. You're too little, her big brother probably used to say, but she was not too little to be used by God because her faith was large. She had a child's unquestioning faith in the power of the grace of God. Not even slavery had shaken her trust in the living God. She had not the slightest doubt that God could and would cure Naaman's disease. The girl not only believed in God's grace, she was also ready to share it. You see, she had what it takes to be an evangelist, bold faith plus a willingness to testify to God's grace. She spoke about God's grace whenever she had the opportunity. She knew how to give a timely word of testimony. Naaman's servant girl is thus an encouragement to every Christian, and especially to children, in the work of evangelism. Any believer 
can share God's grace. And this is a good way to do it. Say, if only you would ask God to help your family. If only you would trust Jesus. If only you would commit this problem to the Lord. Then God would take care of everything. Well, every Christian can say at least that. The words of the old spiritual are true. If you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus who died to save us all. Even the simplest believer, even a child, can do at least that and share God's grace. Now, God's grace is worth sharing because it has cleansing power, and this is the second lesson. God's grace is powerful. Now, there are always some who doubt the power of God and His grace. They see how very needy and how very sinful some people are, and they doubt that they could ever be saved. Very likely you can think of someone who seems beyond the hope of grace. The king of Israel was such a doubter. He did not think anything could be done for leprosy, and so when he received a letter demanding a cure from the king of Syria with his morning post, he almost choked on his breakfast. What does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy for? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king is in such a tense position, we almost feel sorry for him. A full weight of international pressure is leaning against him. Imagine today if a powerful enemy came to you demanding a cure for AIDS or for the Ebola virus. Leprosy was a similar disease. It was despised, feared, seemingly incurable. What is the king to do? Well, what he should have done was exercise the faith of that little slave girl. He should have gone down on his knees to pray for help. Instead, he concludes that the only way he can get out of this sticky situation is actually to become God. Am I God, he asks? Oh, sure, I could take care of this problem if I were myself God. The king admits that only God has power over life and death, but what he forgets is that there is such a God and that there is such a God in Israel and that he has a prophet in Israel. He lacks faith in the cleansing power of God's grace to cure leprosy. For us, this is a reminder to continue to trust in the power of God's grace. There are many situations in the world which seem beyond hope. There are family relationships which seem broken beyond repair. There are friends or perhaps family members who are unwilling to speak with you about spiritual things. There are racial divisions which seem permanent. There are people groups in various parts of the world who seem completely immune to the gospel. And yet there is no need for us to tear our clothes or to complain that we are not God All we need to do is bow our heads and bend our knees and pray for the help of God's grace. With the help of God's grace, nothing is impossible. Now, like the king of Israel, Naaman was another man who doubted the power of God's grace. And so, when Elisha told him to wash in the Jordan River and be clean, he was offended. He wanted to be cured on the spot, as he says, you'll see in a moment. He at least expected the prophet to come out and perform a little hocus-pocus. 
Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? Well, if you live in Philadelphia, perhaps you can understand Naaman's objection because we know all about dirty rivers. Back in the 1950s, a travel guide complained that Philadelphia drinks its own sewage. Both the Delaware and the Schuylkill are indescribably filthy rivers, slimy with industrial and human waste. It must have done wonders for our travel bureau to have that travel guide out. Well, things have improved since then, as you know, but Naaman felt much the same way about the River Jordan. There was no way he was getting in that river. But Naaman did not understand the cleansing power of God's grace, which had nothing to do with water quality. His cure came only through the cleansing power of God's grace. And eventually, Naaman's servants persuaded him that he had nothing to lose. And so he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. When Naaman climbed back on the bank of the river, he had skin as soft as a baby. He could reach up and caress the evidence of the cleansing power of God's grace. He was completely cured of his infectious disease. And of course, Naaman's bath in the Jordan River is a picture of Christian baptism. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ shows the cleansing power of God's grace. It is a sign and a seal of the washing away of our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Scripture says that Jesus Christ cleanses his people by the washing with water through the word. And every child of God is baptized in order to show the cleansing power of this grace. So, for example, when Saul became a follower of Christ, Ananias, and we read this in Acts 22, said to him, And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And if you have experienced the same baptism, if you have been baptized in the name of Jesus, then you can praise God this morning that your sins, every last one of them, have been washed away. And if not, if you have not been baptized for the washing away of sins, then I would say to you what Ananias said to Saul, what are you waiting for? There is nothing you need do except come to Christ in faith and you will receive forgiveness for all your sins. The third lesson about God's grace from this chapter is that it is wide. And this is the lesson Elisha himself learned. Unlike Naaman and the king, he did have faith in the cleansing power of God's grace. And so the first thing he does when he hears about this leper is to set the king straight about God's power. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. You see, Elisha has faith in God's gracious purpose for Naaman. The only thing puzzling about Elisha is his inhospitality. Naaman comes to the prophet's door with horses and chariots. He's a mighty warrior. He's a distinguished out-of-town guest. But 
Elisha doesn't even take the trouble to meet him at the door. He simply sends a messenger to start ordering Naaman around. Well, no wonder Naaman was angry. Imagine, for example, Saddam Hussein coming to Delancey Street and knocking on the door of 10th Presbyterian Church and asking if he might speak with Dr. Boyce because he wants to know how he might be saved. And then imagine Dr. Boyce simply sending someone else from the staff to tell Saddam Hussein to go jump in the Schuylkill River. (laughs) It would be very insulting, and you can understand why Naaman went away angry, as the Scripture says, and says, I thought he would surely come out to me. At least he would come out to see me. And so he turned and went off in a rage. Well, Elisha's behavior does seem a little bit rude, and perhaps it was because he was trying to teach Naaman a lesson in humility. Even the greatest of generals must bow before the spiritual authority of God's prophets. Or perhaps, and I believe this is more likely, Elisha put Naaman off because he was a patriot. Remember, Naaman was a Syrian, and the Syrians to this very day are the sworn enemies of the Jews. Naaman himself has conquered Israel in battle. He has kidnapped Israelite children to be slaves in his household. You see down in verse 20 that Elisha's servant Gehazi is so bitter about it, he cannot speak of Naaman without spitting out a racial slur, this Aramean. Well, even though Naaman was a Syrian, God healed him, and he did it to show the wideness of his grace. God's grace is for Syrians as well as for Jews. Jesus explained about this when he taught in Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, verse 27, Jesus said, There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. In other words, God healed Naaman to show that his grace is for the whole world. There is grace for Gentiles as well as for Jews. It is God's ultimate saving purpose to bring all nations to himself in Christ. And when we read the story of the healing of Naaman from the Old Testament, we get a hint about the worldwide spread of the gospel. Now, when it comes to the wideness of God's grace, some believers have always been stingier than God himself. They resent the favor that God shows to other sinners. It was true in Nazareth when Jesus explained why God saved Naaman. All the people in the synagogue were furious. They were as mad as Gehazi was. They got up and drove Jesus out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill in order to throw him down the cliff. You see, they wanted to keep God's grace to themselves. They did not want to share it with foreigners and with enemies. Yet the truth is that God's grace is wide enough for the whole world. His grace is for the very lostest of the lost. His grace is for Jews who have not yet accepted Jesus as Messiah. His grace is for Gentiles who have not yet heard the gospel. His grace is for Muslims who are still living in spiritual darkness. It is for homosexual prostitutes. It is for abortion doctors. It is for all the sinners of this city. It is for the whole world. And so do not be stingy with the grace 
of God. It is for every people, the Scripture says, and every tribe and every nation. So keep on praying for the lost and keep on sharing the gospel with the lost, even for the most hopeless among them, for the wide, wide grace of Jesus may yet reach them. Well, God's grace is not only wide and powerful, it is also free. This is our fourth lesson, and it came as a great surprise to Naaman, who fully expected to pay his own way. I suppose he had some experience with medical bills or with magicians. So he took with him his entire investment portfolio. Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. His camels were loaded down with 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 rich festive gowns like the beautiful gowns the Syrian priests wore. The riches Naaman carried were vast. The silver alone amounted to five times the amount that Omri, king of Israel, paid to purchase the city of Samaria. And so it is clear that Naaman brought these gifts to pay for his cure. After he was healed, as we read in verse 15, Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. To his great astonishment, Naaman couldn't even give his stuff away. Elisha refused to take payment for the gift of God's grace because it is the free gift of God's grace. At the beginning, it was the very freeness of God's grace which prevented Naaman from accepting it. One of the reasons he refused to jump in the river is because he was used to solving his own problems. I suppose that he believed that when it comes to religion... You get what you pay for. If only there were some way for him to earn at least a little part of his salvation, then he would be satisfied. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed. The servants understand the way the mind of their master works. Naaman expects his salvation to be costly, but not so costly that he cannot pay it himself. He wants to make a contribution to his cleansing, either through his money or through his manpower. Like every sinner, Naaman wanted to pay for his own salvation. This is the natural impulse of sinners, to work their way back to God on their own. But God's grace cannot be paid for, which is why it is called grace. There is no need for silver or for gold or for garments. There is no need to fulfill some great quest, only wash and be clean. God's grace is totally, utterly, absolutely, completely free. When Naaman gets back to Syria, he won't be able to boast about the size of his medical bills or to regale his soldiers with the story of some adventurous quest, he will only be able to say that he was healed sheerly and solely by the cleansing power of the free grace of God. 
And so it is, of course, with salvation in Christ. There is no sacrifice that you can make to atone for your own sins. There is no penance you can undergo to win back forgiveness from God. There is nothing that you can pay, no good deed you can perform to make up for all the bad deeds you have done. There is no love that you can offer to God to win back His affection. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith in this, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you want to be saved from your sins, you can only come as a sinner and ask for the free gift of grace which God has freely given through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, anyone who receives that free gift of grace discovers that it is a life-changing experience, and this is the fifth and final lesson. Naaman was never the same man again. Consider what a wicked man he was before his baptism. He was a great man and proud of it. When Elisha failed to greet him at the door, he took it as an insult to his dignity. His grammar emphasizes the pronoun me. I thought that he would surely come out to me, of all people. To paraphrase, for someone like me, I expected he would at least come out and help. Naaman was a very proud man. Not only was he proud, but he was also a bad-tempered man. When he didn't get his own way, he threw a tantrum. Well, you can see from the Scriptures the reason that Naaman was such an arrogant man. It was because he didn't know the Lord. Notice how he refers to God in verse 11 before his baptism. He speaks of the name of the Lord, his God. You see, the living God may be Elisha's God, but he is not yet Naaman's God. Naaman's an unbeliever. He doesn't have a personal relationship with the living God. And so his life is characterized by pride and by anger and by disbelief. The same thing is true of every sinner. Isn't it the case, as you examine your heart of hearts, isn't it the case that you are a very selfish person? All of your thoughts during the day, all of your thoughts about your food or about your clothing or about your entertainment or about your music or about your work, all of your thoughts are about your own needs, almost without exception. And isn't it the case also that you are subject to fits of anger when you do not get your own way, when life turns against you? You see, as a sinner in the sight of God, you are no better the Naaman. And if it is true that you are angry and selfish, it may be because you have not yet experienced the life-changing power of the free grace of God offered in Jesus Christ. It might be because you are not yet a Christian. Like Naaman, you may need to be converted. And at the very least, you need to be refreshed by the grace of the gospel which you have already received. Well, it was a very different man who climbed back on the bank of the Jordan River after seven baths. The change was more than skin deep. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. 
You see, God's grace had made a believer out of Naaman. Here he is making the confession of faith that every Jew made every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Naaman has set aside all the false gods of the Syrians to worship the one true God. Nor will he sacrifice to any other god but God. As we read in verse 17, he speaks of taking earth from the land of Israel to build an altar, for he will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. You see, once Naaman accepted the free gift of God's grace, his whole life changed, his relationship to God changed, his worship changed, his confession changed. The most obvious change of all was in his most obvious sin. Remember how proud Naaman was? Remember how angry he was when he didn't get the proper respect and how he refused to submit to the will of God? Once Naaman was converted, his greatest vice became his greatest virtue. When he returned to Elisha after his baptism, he came in all humility. Verse 15, please accept now a gift from your servant. Uses the same language in verse 17, your servant. The great warrior has become the servant of the humble prophet. It was Naaman's pride which kept him from trusting in God in the first place. But now that he has humbled himself by submitting to God and by submitting to the cleansing power of God's grace, he has become a very humble man. The change must have been remarkable to anyone who knew him. But that's what happens when someone receives the life-changing gift of God's grace. It is a life-changing experience. If it hasn't already, this powerful, wide, free grace of God may yet change your life. All you need to do is that you, like Naaman, are a sinner in need of God's grace and ask God to forgive your sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, if you have come to faith in Christ and if you have been baptized for the washing away of sin, then you have a lot to live up to. Everyone who has been baptized into Christ must live a holy life. And let me then close with these words of instruction from Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for the riches of your grace. We give you praise that there is more in this chapter than we can understand or comprehend, and yet we believe it. That this grace which you have poured out through the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ is for the whole world, and that it comes free. We give you praise for that grace, and now we pray that we might live in a gracious way, that we might live the kind of humble and grateful and worshipful life that Naaman lived by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Ryken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce and Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. Every last word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word.